So I became willing because I was tired of so much guilt. I didn't want to feel guilty anymore. Welcome to episode 35 of The Recovery Show. We are trying a new format this episode and recording live, including our real-time interaction with listeners in a chat room. We're planning to try out this format a few times, so if you miss the opportunity to listen and interact live during this episode, you will have more opportunities to do so in the future. This episode is brought to you by Val. She used the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Val, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. (laughs) We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. If you are struggling with guilt and resentment over your actions in the past, if you aren't ready to make amends to someone, if you think you deserve an amends before you make one, (laughs) you've come to the right place. Keep listening as we discuss step eight. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of step eight. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. How are you doing today, Spencer? I am doing well, thank you. Good, good. And next to Spencer is co-host Swetha. Swetha, how are you this morning? Great, thanks Kelly. Good, all right. So the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Step 8. Following a musical break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We'll follow that with a brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And we're going to start off with a reading on Step 8. It's from Courage to Change on page 101. Having lived with alcoholism, many of us have come to think of ourselves as innocent victims of other people's abuse. It can be shocking to discover that we, too, have harmed others. Listing those we have harmed, step eight, becomes a discovery process in which a more realistic sense of responsibility can begin to develop. In my case, however, the problem was not in recognizing the harm I'd done, but in letting go of my exaggerated sense of responsibility. I thought that everyone I ever knew belonged on my list, especially those who were disappointed in me. For example, my parents are unhappy with the partner I've chosen. My sister wants me to pay off her debts. My kids wish I'd let them stay out all night without calling. As I thought about this step, I realized I am not responsible for their unfulfilled desires. So when I revised my eighth step list, I needed to take names off. So as I said, my name is Kelly. And today we're talking about step eight, which is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I had to take a breath in the middle there because it's, it's kind of a heavy step. It's a two-parter. There's a lot going on here, guys. So, <laughs> And became willing. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so maybe we can break this down. Like I said, it's kind of a two-parter. So... Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll talk about the list first, because I feel like I always hear in meetings that the the list-making portion should, in theory, be really easy, because everybody says that <laughs> if you did your step four, you know, you, you have li- are kind of already listed or at least brought attention to people that should go on your list. So 
the suggestion is that you just go back through your fourth step and, you know, pick out all of those names. So I guess I'm wondering, um, you know, for you guys, the first time you did your eighth step, was it as easy as just, you know, going back to step four and pulling out the list? Swetha's already shaking her head now. <laughs> I feel like I did Never what so they were talking about. <laughs> I feel like I did what they were talking about in the reading where I just wanted to apologize to all of the people on my fourth step because I... Uh, well, several reasons, but uh, first of all, some partly because of that recommendation that they said, you know, just go through your fourth step. I didn't hear the part where they said, go through your fourth step and find. <laughs> I was just like, okay, fourth step, the who is just going to shift over for the eighth step, and I just have to apologize <laughs> to all of these people. You but just basically rewrote your fourth step. I did, I did. <laughs> and um, I actually did, because I think at some point I was, uh, I was talking to my sponsor, and um going through the list and it was just my fourth step again like well there's this person and he's a total dick and uh, I think I need to make an amends to him <laughs> and that was like the my, my whole I think my whole eighth step the first time around uh, and then I trashed that list after talking to my sponsor but I think that um, I think deciding whether or not I harmed someone so I, I think this part requires a really strong uh, connection with my higher power because what I did was I turned every person that I wanted to make an amends to that first time around, it was more about what they thought I should be. Or I turned each person into my higher power and went through a list of all the amends they thought I should make okay. to them, or I, I believe they thought I should make to them. Um, and it's not, it's like it says in the reading, it's not about fulfilling their unfulfilled desires. So for me, figuring out who I needed to make an amends to required my two favorite things ever, prayer and meditation. Um, And making that connection with my higher power and trying to act on what the next right thing was for me, was the next right thing for me to apologize to this person. Um, Not for them. Was it the right thing for them? No. Is, Is it based on my definition of a harm or if I felt I've done a harm uh, otherwise I would end up making an amends to myself because I, I realized that every time that I say sorry to someone for something I didn't do um, or something that I don't really feel at fault for I'm actually hurting myself a little bit I feel like I'm diminishing my own value a little bit I don't know if I'm wording that correctly but I I hurt myself when I take responsibility for things that I'm not I don't really at heart feel I'm responsible for and that builds resentments so um, every time I put someone on the list after that and even now when I continue to work the eighth step um, I I give myself some time to process whether or not I really feel I've done a harm and exactly what that harm was just being like, Oh, I think I did a harm and I'm just going to apologize for everything in this. Same thing. Um, I'm still hurting myself a little bit. So I, whether I make an amends five seconds after I did something or five minutes or five hours or five days, or even if it's not a multiple of five, um, it'll, (laughs) it'll be fine. I mean, an amends is an amends. So I try to give myself and that space, and I try to be respectful to the amends and to the other person by giving myself that space to really decide if I've harmed them. Yeah. You know, I could, I could really relate to what you're saying, Swetha, and that's in part the reason why I chose this reading, because 
I also remember sitting down with my sponsor and I had my list ready and we're going through it and discussing it, you know, because she had suggested, let's run through the first couple that you feel ready to, you know, talk about. And, um, and she kind of gave me the same response. Like, I, I don't know if all of them are supposed to be on this list. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I was at an open talk last night where someone was talking about the eighth um, and ninth step. And part of what he said was that this process of step eight and nine is not about making myself feel better. Mm -hmm. It's about what I need to do for the other person. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get that concept when I made my (laughs) list. You know, like you said, I mean, there was all these people on it and it was just anyone that I had ever had a negative encounter with, Mm -hmm. whether it was my fault or not. And I think I also sort of misinterpreted the idea that we talk about in the program that you know, every situation requires, to, you know, takes two to tango, basically. Yeah. And so I felt like if there was some sort of a negative encounter, I must have had some part in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And well, I think it's extremely valuable for me to be able to recognize my part in every situation, it doesn't necessarily mean that I owe someone an amends right. or, or that my part was, you know, really what it is in my mind, you know, sometimes my mind develops it into something much greater. So, so yeah, I also had to go through and re-edit my list and Mm -hmm. really look at, you know, what situations I felt like I had really contributed to, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what did I, what did I do wrong? Right. So so that did narrow it down a little bit, which was actually a relief, you know, yeah. when that list gets shorter and that means I have less work to do, which is mm-hmm. a good feeling. So, um, Spencer, what about you? How about how was the process for you on making that list? Well, I think the, the first time um, I did my eighth step, I, I went back. I actually brought my, my uh, journals from when I was working the steps. And uh, so back in 2003, when I was working the eighth step for the first time, and there was this question about, did you use your step four list to, to build your list of people you did harm to? And and at that time I wrote, well, my step four work actually didn't mention a whole lot of people by name. And so it wasn't extremely helpful. Um, you know, I sort of had to go back and look at the individual defects and think about how they might have affected people around me. My list was fairly short at that point. Uh, it included my family members. Um, and it included coworkers because of my anger issue in particular. Mm. Um, and I, I, I also remember um, sort of struggling with this question of, well, if I think bad thoughts about somebody in my head, does that mean I owe them amends? <laughs> and I was, I was working the steps with a small group, uh, what we in this area sometimes call an AWOL group, which stands for a way of life or a way of living. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of people in the group who were much more experienced in the program. And uh, they said, no, if it's just in your head, there's, there's no harm. If, it caused, if there were actions that came from that thought that, that injured the other person, then there's a harm. But if, if you're just thinking bad thoughts about somebody, but it doesn't come out in any way, then maybe you need to make amends to yourself. I think you said that, Swetha, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know, those thoughts in my head are hurting me, but they're not hurting the other person. And that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a couple of notes from, from our discussion around step eight here and uh, a couple of ways that were suggested 
to help identify people for the step eight list that I, I guess I hadn't thought of them because I wrote them down because somebody else said them. What do I feel ashamed that I've done to other people that I wouldn't want to tell anyone? So if I ask that question myself, that might bring up certain incidents in my life. If I did something and I don't want to tell anybody about it, there's probably something going on there that I need to make an amend for. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and that's the same. This, and, and then I had the same question written here in another way, and it says to whom, obviously. Mm. Um, and uh, To whom you need to make an amends to? Yeah, I mean, or? who was it that I did this thing to? Mm. Um, okay. I, I think it must have been two different people around the table said things, and I wrote them both down. Okay. And they were very similar. I, I did the eight step again recently. Um, actually, I've got a date here. No. Um, sometime in, in 2012, I was working on it. And uh, at that point, it was a lot easier to identify um, the people that I still needed to make amends to. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, and, and actually, well, I'll come back to that. But again, family, I added my parents this time for some stuff I did as a child. And I, Still need to talk to my sponsor about whether that needs an amend or not because that was, God, I don't know, 50 years ago. <laughs> Help. <laughs> Help. My ex-wife, uh, that was, the, again, this is stuff that came up, you know, reworking the fourth step and thinking about behavior in the past and, and some mm-hmm. real craziness that I had going on in my life uh, when we were still dating. Um, some other people, um, a friend in the program where I repeatedly and from what I thought were good intentions um, broke her anonymity until she basically said we're not friends anymore. Mm. And I haven't seen her in several years. Last time I saw her, I said, hey, you know, I need to make an amend to you. Um, can we get together for coffee sometime? Because it was like out in an outdoor concert or something. It was not an appropriate place to be to be <laughs> doing that. And you know, she never got back to me. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if, if the opportunity arises, I can make an amend there. And I think mm-hmm. there are probably a few other people in my life that that might be true for. Yeah, so I guess for me, I mean, the four-step list helped because it helped to identify the sorts of things that I did. But I really had to go through the people in my life and think about what specific harms I had done to each of them. And, and that's really part of the list, too. It's not just who have I harmed, but how have I harmed them Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there was this um, uh, sort of four-column format that came out of one of the books, maybe out of the past recovery book suggestion. Yeah, I believe it's in past recovery. I'm find it now. Um, oh, it's right oh. here. Um, so who who was it? Um, what relationship were they to me? Mm-hmm. What is the specific harm? Uh, what might I do to make amends? And am I willing mm. to make amends? Are the, the five columns that I have in my my list here. Um, they're, they're <laughs> I was just thinking, am I willing? <laughs> right away. Let's write the list. Well, Are you willing now? <laughs> and, and that's the second part of the step, and we're not talking about that. I know. And I'll have a lot more to say when we get to that question. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, I didn't end up with a long, a really long list. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I just didn't dig deep enough or uh, or what, but that's what I got. Spencer, I really liked what you were saying about that you've gone through it twice and and things like that. Um, actually, two things. One thing you were mentioning, Kelly, is that I kind of took I kind of took the same meaning um, when people told me that when there were there's a, an encounter 
of any sort, good or mm. bad, I have a part in it. And I thought a part meant automatically I did harm <laughs> right. to another person. And uh, it's not, that's not necessarily true. I'm really, really good about being quietly angry and resentful and plotting revenge in my head that never comes to fruition. <laughs> and I'm usually doing really big harms to myself when I do that. So usually there's an amends that needs to be made, but not just because I have a part doesn't mean that part is a harm. They never say, you right. always have done harm in every right. negative encounter. But when Spencer was talking, I was thinking about the fact that when I was going through my... Actually, when I was going through my fourth step and my eighth step, my sponsor told me, this is not the last time you're going to do a fourth step or the last time you're going to do an eighth step, which I think she meant it as a comfort <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, crap. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> I just I wanted to, to do get... this again. Right. <laughs> um, but it was important that I remember that because as my relationship with my higher power developed, the person I Kind of like what I was mentioning before, um, the person I wanted to be, the person that my higher power wanted me to be, and my relationship with that idea changed and developed over time. So maybe what I thought was acceptable behavior before the program is not acceptable behavior one month into the program, is not acceptable behavior 10 months into the program, 10 years into the program. It it changes and develops as I change and develop and uh, grow spiritually. So maybe there is something I did... To, I, I'm sure there's something horrible I did to my sister that I just <laughs> was like, no, it's totally justified last time I did my eighth step. <laughs> but now that I've been working the steps and, and all of that, when I get to my eighth step again, I think that I'll have different standards of behavior based on a different relationship that I have with my higher power. And I might go back and see that as something I need to make an amends for. And yeah, I, th- I think, again, this is largely based on my own spiritual growth and what I want for myself and versus what other people want for me. And uh, just, because so, just because my parents want me to be a certain person and that person would find certain things to be a wrong doesn't mean that my higher power wants me to be that person and the person, and the person my higher power wants me to be maybe not doesn't find those things to be a wrong. Like my parents think a boundary is just offensive. They don't they think boundaries are actually offensive to close relationships. So they probably want me to be making amends for boundaries I set with them. Mm. And I don't think the person I don't think my higher power would want me to do that. Um so just as an example. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point too, Swetha, in that this process of the eighth step sort of fights against our need to be perfect. Mm. Um because as we work through the program, we're, we're constantly changing and evolving. Right. And so there is no possible way to perfectly do an eighth step the first time, the second time. Ever? The hundredth time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ever. You know, we have a, a question here from a listener about when it might be appropriate to make amends um, in mm-hmm. a particular... Well, I'll play it. Hello, this is Mel R. I'm calling you from a highway in between two southern cities where I'm going to pick up um, my daughter from a long weekend away. And um, I was worried about her and my relationship with her while I picked up your show on a podcast, which was just really helpful, helpful the time and it's helpful, uplifting. Um, but then at the end you said, you know, you might have a, a, a show next week on Feb 8. I understand that. That's just the plan. Everything's flexible. Um, but... 
you asked if there was feedback or, you know, input on resentment and guilt about the past. And, well, just a lot of things clicked into place. One was that I'm on step eight. I've been in the program for three years, but I'm only on step eight, you know, one day at a time, <laughs> one step at a time. Um, taking my time and sitting inside of all of the steps and really, um, I don't know, really just, you know, letting my body decide what's the right pace for me. Um, but I'm having trouble right now with, um, and it's not even, I wasn't even particularly thinking about step eight. Maybe it's coincidental, maybe it's higher power, maybe it's just all things, you know, universe coming together, but I'm having some terrible, terrible anxiety and guilt about ways that I treated my daughter in my unrecovered self. And she's 15 now. She just turned 15. And what's showing up for her, you know, in her, her anxiety, you know, what I'm, what I'm projecting onto her or what I'm seeing in her, what I'm noticing in her, um, you know, things that are, are phobic or, I don't know, I'm taking responsibility for things that are showing up in her because of, things that I'm learning about myself. Um, and my, my my trouble with my children is where do I, you know, get the hell out and not be invasive and where do I get in and be and not be neglectful? You know, what is the line there? And, you know, um, I want to, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm very confused about that. I, I feel like I need to make an amends to her, but then I feel like that's not appropriate because she's a child and I'm a parent. And I don't know. I thought that might be an interesting topic to discuss. Well, it certainly would be an interesting topic for, to discuss for me, mm-hmm. but it might be um, it might be something that um, I could get some experience, strength, and hope from from other people. So I just wanted to Thanks, Nell. I think I'm going to talk to that one first. I'm the only one in the room with children. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I knew on my first list that my children were definitely um, needed amends uh, for, for my behavior. Uh, I had, as I've talked about before, I had a lot of anger and rage, and that came out. It came out at the kids a lot uh, because they were emotionally safe for me to be angry at because they weren't going to fight back. Uh, and that just, <laughs> that sounds really terrible when I say it. Uh, it, it hurts me to say it. Uh, but I wasn't thinking rationally at that point. I was reacting and out of emotion, out of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or out of, out of having stuffed uh, anger at the alcoholic in my life for so long. And... So I knew I needed to make amends. When I came into Al-Anon, my children were 11. I have twins. And we tried to get them into a program. Uh, we took, I took them to Samaritan meetings. I bribed them to go to Samaritan meetings. So visualize you're an 11 or 12-year-old, and your father's going to give you five bucks if you go to an Alateen meeting, Okay. <laughs> In back in what was this two thousand two two thousand three so five bucks, you know it was it, for a twelve year old that's a lot of money you can buy 
bunch of Pokemon cards for five bucks. Okay? <laughs> they went to, I think, three. So five bucks wasn't enough to get past that. So they weren't supply they, and, and demand. And uh, we took them to, we took them to the treatment center where uh, my wife was in long term treatment. And I think I remember the therapist saying my daughter basically sat in the corner and hid under the beanbag in the corner most of the mm-hmm. most of the day. So they weren't ready. I felt they weren't ready for direct mm-hmm. amends. They weren't ready for daddy to say wow, I've been really angry and I've been yelling at you a lot and it's not about you. And, and maybe that would have been good to say to them. Um, but what I knew I could do because my higher power had taken most of that rage from me and it really wasn't coming out as much as it, it anywhere nearly as much as it, as it had been before I came into the program. What I knew I could do was to make living amends. I could change my behavior so that at least I wasn't continuing to do that harm. And later on, as they grew, we were able to, to talk about a little bit about those days, at least with my daughter. I, you know, I don't think I've had that direct conversation with my son, which is interesting. He's a different kind of a person. But recently, just recently, I mean, I've had a bunch of step eight breakthroughs and, and leading into step nine amends um, just in the last few months. And... Recently, I was driving my daughter home from visiting a friend of hers, and she started to talk about a conversation she'd had with her mother about how she expresses her own anger, and with her mother saying, you know, you need to be respectful to your parents, and her saying, well, I, and and I'm just amazed she could do this. Uh, she's, my daughter said, well, you know, I didn't have very good role models when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. She said the one parent that I felt safe with was the one who would explode and pound the table. Mm. And, you know, as you can imagine, all these emotions went crashing through my head. Like, I was the one she felt safe with, even though I was the one who was screaming and pounding the table. Mm. And so that opened the door for me to make an amend directly at that point. And she's 22 now, okay? So it's been a while that I felt before... I felt ready, and and it was ready in that instant. I mean, you know, I probably had been ready for a while. It just took that to sort of push me. And okay, so I was going to save this this reading for a little bit later, but this was a reading at, at a meeting I went to on Sunday, and it really just um, spoke directly to a couple of experiences around Step Eight that I had recently. It starts out: a stone cutter may strike a rock ninety nine times with no apparent effect, not even a crack on the surface. Yet with the hundredth blow, the rock splits in two. It was not the final blow that did the trick, but all that had gone before. And for me, that speaks to what happened to me around willingness on the eighth step. That it was not just that one thing that she said to me that that made it possible for me to, to make a direct amend. It was a whole bunch of things that had gone before in terms of my program in terms of readings, in terms of working the steps uh, with a sponsor and so on, that, uh, and with my AWOL groups that made me ready. But I can identify that, that instant that I knew I was ready. Um, so anyway, getting back to Nell's question, and y- your daughter's 15, and you know, depending on, on her, but I think it's entirely appropriate if you have harmed her 
to to make amends and whether you can make direct amends to her or not. I mean, when when my when my kids were fifteen, I think I still had pretty good communication with them, and I probably could have done it, except I wasn't I wasn't ready, and I guess that's what you're struggling with. So it, it really depends on on how she is, how you are, how it is between the two of you. But I wish I could have made direct amends to my kids when they were fifteen. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know if they would have been ready for it, but I th- I think they could have accepted it. I think they could have accepted that. Um, you know, their parents are not perfect. Their parents are not gods. Their parents make mistakes, and and that their parents are willing to apologize for those mistakes. And I just want to. Um, I just thought of this thing that happened last summer. I was chaperoning at a um, leadership school for teens um, through my church, and there were like 30 kids there, all high school age. And there was an incident one night where um, several of the boys were um, not in their rooms at curfew, and I confronted them, and I yelled at them. And they scurried off to their rooms. The next day, every every night we had a, a little um, sort of, I forget what we called it, council or something, where people could air things that had happened during the day, and, and we would talk about it. Um, and I spoke up and I said, I need to... I need to make an apology for the way in which I spoke to you guys last night. And one boy who probably was 15 or 16 years old looked at me and he said, wow, he said, I have never heard an adult admit they did something wrong and apologize for it. Mm -hmm. So it can be very powerful, uh, even if it's not something you've done before. Thanks. Spencer, would you mind um, defining for our listeners, you used two terms that I don't know that our listeners might know about. Mm. Uh, one was direct amends and the other was living amends. Could you make the oh, distinction sure, yeah. between those? Yeah. I think I sort of, when I said living amends, I said it's changing the behavior, mm-hmm. um, not doing the thing that did the harm in the past. And that can go along with direct amends. And to me, direct amends means sitting down with the person saying, I did this wrong, I hurt you in this way, or I believe I hurt you in this way, because it always has to be from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to do these things to amend it, which literally means to make it right or make it better. Okay. Uh, And so, and I think that's a a question that we come to in step nine, really, is what is is amend versus apology? Um, Right. And so direct amends to me means I have to sit down face-to-face with the person. and Or maybe, you know, if they're not nearby, I could write a letter, but I really feel like it needs to be face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my personal opinion. And I wanted to kind of clarify for the listeners, too, because I feel like in several of our comments, we're sort of blurring that line between step eight and step nine in the yeah. conversation it's that we're so having easy. today. It's so easy, yeah. And especially to comment directly to Nell's voicemail, you know, I think as just a reminder, step eight is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So really, now in this step, all that it's asking of you is to identify, which which it sounds like you've already done, to identify that maybe your daughter is someone that you want to add to that list. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to become willing to think about the idea of, you know, what you might say to her. 
and then take it from there. You know, like Spencer said, a lot of times there are cues or situational things that happen and it the time just feels right. And then you can kind of move into that step nine place of, you know, actually having that conversation. But, you know, I do think that the fact that we continue to go to meetings, that we connect with our higher power, that we get a sponsor, that we share at meetings, you know, all of those things are a step towards that willingness right. that, you know, the, the, the more we are willing to become a better person, mm-hmm. the easier it will be when we move into that place of step nine of having that conversation. And so I feel like, you know, we've definitely kind of crossed the line into the second piece of this step, which is became willing to make amends to them all. So, you know, Swetha, maybe you can start us off with just talking about what willingness means to you. Or how how do you get to the place of willingness? How do you become willing? Oh, man. I think, uh, I feel like I just keep saying the same thing for answers right now. Um, Again, it had a lot to do with my higher power. I was really, kind of like what Spencer was saying earlier about uh, what are the things that you absolutely don't want anyone to know that you've done or don't want a certain person to know that you've done. That didn't change that I didn't want people to know what I'd done. But again, when I was doing that, I was when I was focusing on that fear, I was making each individual person my higher power. Like if I admitted to them what I had done, I would be chastised or criticized or shunned. Um, and, and I was kind of trying to control that situation by not telling them, by not being open with them, by hiding it. Maybe it'll just go away. Yeah, yeah. If they don't know, it didn't really happen. (laughs) And I think my thought process along the lines of that was that the fact that it made it onto my list meant that it didn't just disappear. It didn't just go away. That I was carrying it, and I was carrying it alone and in secret. And so I became willing because I was tired of so much guilt. I didn't want to feel guilty anymore. It felt so bad, and I couldn't. At some point, I I just I couldn't deal with it anymore, and I didn't know what to do with it until I got to step until I got mm-hmm. to step work, and then when I got to step eight, um, I'd been working step three like my life depended on it, and it kind of <laughs> did. <laughs> and um, and what's step three again? Oh, just for step our three is to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. All right, uh, thank you, Kelly. And so it was. It was not, I think I used that step again in becoming willing is every time, every time I became willing, I was turning my will and and, uh, life over to the care of God. Right. And then carrying through, I mean, this is kind of step nine, but then the next step of actually making the amends was that, that wasn't the hard part for me. The hard part was just saying that God's going to take care of me and really believing in that and not just overall glancing at a list and being like, yeah, it'll be all right, but really sitting down with each individual amends I felt I really needed to make and saying, this is what I'm really, really scared of and God will take care of that anyway was was how I became willing. It's not that I became willing to make the amends. I became willing to trust in my higher power wow. that it would be okay. I like that. Spencer, thoughts on willingness? Wow. Very hard Are you for willing? me. Very hard for me. <laughs> Um, you know, when I, when I, uh, was working on my first step, um, 10 years ago, God, I mean, my eighth step first time, 10 years ago, almost, 
Um, oh, and for Nell, um, I got to my eighth step about a year and a half into the program, and I was desperate. I started working the steps two months into the program, which in my experience with people in Al-Anon, most people are not anywhere near the steps after only two months, except maybe step one. Yeah. But I was desperate. As I said, I, br- I brought my journals from, from that time, and I looked at that this question about becoming willing and what's blocking me from becoming willing. And one of the things I wrote was that I avoid confrontation and mm. I avoid painful circumstances. Mm-hmm. And those were things that were definitely blocking me from becoming willing. And at that point, um, actually, there was a question in there about how have I turned to my higher power for becoming willing or whatever. And I didn't answer that question. <laughs> I left that one blank. So that that says something about where I was in my relationship or not with my higher power and particularly with my how well I had worked step three. I think I was still on the the fake it till you make it part of step three. But I was I was doing the actions but the uh the thinking hadn't come yet. And by the way, if you if you want to hear a lot more about about fake it till you make it or uh, acting your way into right thinking, uh, last week's the most recent episode of Recovered, which I forget the number four hundred and something, but um, is is about acting our way into right thinking. So if you go to the recoveredcast dot com and and look for that that one, um, there was a lot of good discussion about, uh, um, particularly around the question of higher power. I mean, several of us had this experience of having to just do the actions, do the praying do the meditation without really believing that anything was going to come of it and and eventually finding our way into a relationship with our higher power. So I think now definitely it's easier. The uh, The story that I want to talk about, I, I related a couple of weeks ago, I think it was our episode on compassion when we were in, the, in the, our lives in recovery section. I talked about having this experience of hearing a radio show where these young girls were making very public direct amends to their mothers for the behavior that had landed them in jail and and spoke about you know walking down the street with tears running down my face as I was listening to this this podcast and how that sort of broke open a dam of unwillingness mm. and the person that I had been unwilling to make amends to for over 10 years was my wife. My wife was the, the alcoholic whose drinking got me to Al-Anon in the first place, where I discovered that I should have been here years ago, but you know that's a separate story. And she got sober in 2005, which was after I had gone through my 12 steps the first time, after I had gone through my 8th and ninth step the first time. And I say, uh, in, in 2003, 2004... I was definitely not willing to make amends to her. She was she was still hurting me and I didn't I just couldn't I couldn't see doing it. I just couldn't see doing it. I was not ready. And I've I've come to see a lot of things recently. And and one of the things that happened is I built a wall. I built a wall to keep myself safe emotionally. Um and I didn't bring that wall down when she got sober in 2005. I kept that wall up. And that that in part that wall was keeping me from from making amends to her because I was not reconnecting, I was not feeling emotionally connected to her. 
And as long as I was not feeling connected, I didn't feel any need. And of course, there's the avoiding uncomfortable situations uh, defect. I knew I needed to make amends. I just and 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 I was making. I felt I was making living amends, but I had not made direct amends. And I knew I needed to do that. And so, when when that one hundredth blow on the stone broke the stone open, and I became willing, I then, well, it was it was just a few days before our twenty ninth wedding anniversary, and we were going out for dinner to celebrate our anniversary, and. I decided this was the time to do it. If I was ready, I needed to do it, and this would be a good time to do it. And so to make sure that I did it, I called up several program friends and said, I'm going to do this thing. So I had a commitment, so I would have to go back to them and say, well, I didn't do it if I didn't do it, you see. So we went out to dinner. We sat down at the table. We ordered, and and then I looked across the table at her, and I don't, I don't remember if I took her hand or not. It's a little difficult sitting on opposite sides of a table, but I might have. And I just, I said, you know, I need to make amends. And, and, and basically, I, you know, I made one amend. I made one direct amend, which I talked about having built this, this emotional wall between us that, that um, I was committing to take down, which was going to be the amends that um, I was going to work to not shut her out which was the harm really there. I mean, that was a direct harm that, that I would shut her out. I would ignore her. I would not give value to her suggestions and opinions. And there's a lot of harm there. And, you know, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. She accepted it. And, you know, now comes the hard part. <laughs> Actually doing the work, um, which I am working on. But it, it it can take, obviously, for me, it did take a very long time to become willing to make that amend. And, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that that has, you know, made a crack in the dam in, in, my, in my soul that I will be able to talk about some of the other harms that I've done and and commit to making amends to those. And, and I think a lot of them I am, you know, the living amends part, but there's this real power. There's this real power for me, and you were talking about feeling guilty. Um, this, this power for me in making that amend. And, you know, what, what you were saying about the talk last night, Kelly, I mean, yeah, we need to, to fix the harms that we did as best we can. And sometimes we can't. Um, you know, my friend whose anonymity I broke, my ex-friend, I guess. I'm never going to fix that. The only thing I can do, and, and, and what I will say to her if I see her, is that that experience totally changed the way in which I hold people's anonymity. So it's not directly an amends to her in terms of fixing the harm I did to her, but it is, I hope, seen as, as um, an amend in the sense that I am committed to not doing it to anybody else. Mm. And again, coming over into the amends part, not, not, the, not the willingness. So anyway, that's, that's, that's been my recent experience with willingness. You know, I think uh, something that you touched on 
is that there are a lot of situations in which we just have to be willing to become willing. You know, that that's an initial part of the process is, and, and definitely includes that higher power piece, you know, that we, we can say a little prayer that, you know, hopefully we can get to the point eventually where we can be willing to be willing. And I want to touch on the higher power piece because we've got Ruth in the chat room. Uh, Hi, Ruth. We're so glad to have you, Ruth. First of all, Spencer, she commented that she um, she was also in the chat room for Mark's most recent episode. And um, she said it was a great episode, um, especially explaining that um, fake it till you make it is more about the idea of practicing. But she had a good question that was... I guess it wasn't really a question, but that she felt like it was important to her to put her higher power on her eighth step list. Hmm. Because uh, if, if I'm interpreting her comments correctly, that it's about um, for her in the past, the idea of forgiveness when she wasn't in contact with her higher power Hmm. and would her higher power be willing to forgive her for not including it in her life. And I think that's a really great point. You know, we, we do often talk about putting ourselves on the list. You know, we recognize that that's important because we've, we've definitely harmed others and we've certainly most certainly harmed ourselves, but I don't know that I've ever really given any thought to putting my higher power on the list. So I think that's a great point that she brings up. Yeah. Have either of you guys put your higher power on your list? No, I guess personally, my concept of my higher power. Okay, let me think about apology versus amends here. I don't think I owe my higher power an apology for for losing contact, but amends in terms of like making contact, uh, maintaining contact. That's definitely true. My higher power loves me. Um, my higher power loves me whether I'm paying attention to my higher power or not. Um, that's just, that's, that's my, you know, my concept. I think there was a story or something like that. I don't know which book it was in, but when I was making my eighth step list true to form, I did every bit of research I could ever to science it up a bit and, um, (laughs) it didn't work, but uh, I think one of the story, (laughs) I feel like I say that all the time, the formulas and the science, but it doesn't work. In one of the stories, it said something about making an amends to my higher power. And uh, I think I, I think that was, I think I did actually at some point. It would kind of, it kind of went in line with my amends to myself as well. It was like just one after the other. I think I was apologizing to my higher power for a lot of things, but amongst those it was that, uh, that I felt a lot of shame and guilt when it came to my higher power because I felt like my higher power trusted me with myself and I'd, I'd broken myself and I came back to the program and I was like, this, I'd just broken it. It was like breaking someone's favorite thing and then just being like, oh, oops, sorry about that. Um, and I, but I felt so much shame about it that I um, apologized to my higher power or I made an amends to my higher power rather and, um, and then made an amends to myself. I think it kind of, it wasn't easy. I think those were the hardest ones. I didn't know why at the time, but it was the, those were the hardest amends because then it was still a secret, you know, like nobody really knew. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of like what Spencer said about that he had built a wall uh, with, his, with his alcoholic. And 
uh, I did that. I built, I, I don't think I built a wall. I think I just built a fortress and it was all sorts of walls against everyone in the world, everything, anything that could ever come near me, um, including my higher power. I just didn't want to be hurt ever. And I kept all my secrets behind that. And it was really painful. I felt like I was guarding this fortress all by myself with all these horrible, sick, twisted things inside of it. And I thought that was power. I Kind of going back to the voicemail we heard, I learned that from my parents. I learned that you, you never say you're sorry. You don't let anyone know that you did something wrong. Uh, you never admit to anything. And it wasn't that they sat me down and said, Swetha, this is how you interact with people. <laughs> I was just, it was what they did. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I think 90% of, of uh, what I got from them wasn't from what they told me. Uh, but from what they, the, the way they showed me to, how to behave, they showed me the secrets and never making apologies and uh, acting like you're always right, that that's power. And they showed mm-hmm. me what it was like to not be in a, in a position of power in, by, by that definition. And so I never, ever wanted to be like that. I never, ever wanted to be, to feel like I was never going to be in control or I was powerless with my, like I did with my parents. And so I started doing that because I never wanted to be that way again. And I did that with my friends, my family, my higher power, myself sometimes. I would lie to myself all the time. And then when I came into the program, I, I thought step eight was just like, it was, a, it was about being humil- a little bit about being humiliated. I was a little scared that that's what it was, that I would lose my power. It, it kind of, I mean, I know this wasn't exactly what the voicemail was saying, but one of the hardest amends was making an amends to my sister my little sister, and she was my little sister. So I was. there's always been power dynamics in every relationship I've been in and power by that sort of sick definition. And um, I thought that I would lose my high ground. I thought I would break this relationship if I lost that power, then she, then I would hate her. <laughs> I thought I would hate her if I made an amends and lost my power and I'd be resentful towards her because of how the relationship would change. But I think that as I, uh, and same with my higher power, I thought I would lose my power and my control <laughs> over my higher power. My God, your I was control sick. control over your higher power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, it, it was the same with everybody. I was afraid I'd lose my control, my power over them. And because uh, I was everyone's higher power. Spencer, get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't know it, Spencer, but Swetha was your higher power, too. Yeah, people. Not not a very effective one, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. Sorry about that. (laughs) And when I came into the program, I realized that as my definition of who I wanted to be changed, so did my definition of what I wanted relationships to change, and so did my definition of power and strength. And I I realized I didn't want power over other people. I mean, I, I lapse sometimes, and I really, really, really want power over certain people. Um but I, I think I just wanted to feel strong and I mixed up those definitions before the program. Mm. And after the program, I realized that I'm strongest when I've made the amends, when I'm self-aware, when I'm honest. And here's the really crazy thing that I'm still trying to get over this, even though it's been months since I made this realization. I'm strongest when I'm, when I'm vulnerable with other people. And I can only be honestly vulnerable with other people when I've been open with my higher power, open with myself. And oh, and the and open with uh, the person. 
Yeah, just just to come back to the chat room, Swetha, um, Ruth says that she resonates with what you're saying, that yeah. she has the same kind of situation with her brother. Yeah. And uh, that she has a lot of sympathy for your way of thinking, and it, it helps her not to feel so lonely with her thinking. So she thanks you for your openness. Um, and she also commented, too, that um, in regards to the piece about putting your higher power on your eight-step list, that she didn't necessarily view it as someone that she needed to make an apology to, but more of a living amends, that it was about right. improving her right. behavior. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Which I can, I can get behind that, Ruth. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I was looking again, looking at my, my notes from 2003, and uh, this question about, you know, am I willing to pray for the willingness to be willing? I wrote, I need to practice prayer. <laughs> <laughs> so effectively, yes, my higher power was on the list, but I wasn't admitting it. Right. I was. I was. I was saying that I, I I needed to work on the behavior. So after you guys made a list, did you review it with somebody? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Swetha and I both kind of touched on that. That. And oh I, right, back at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I think probably my sponsor knew me well enough to know that if she just like let me loose in the world with my <laughs> initial first draft of the eight step list, that um, probably would not go very well. You'd yeah. have a longer eight step list the next time around. <laughs> yeah, and, and exactly. Yeah, oh, it was going to make it worse than better. And I, you know, I I think. To me, too, and Swetha kind of touched on this earlier, that it's, I think it's hard in our codependent state to understand the difference between apology and amends. And I know we we yeah. briefly touched on that as yeah. well earlier. We'll talk but more about that next month, I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I think she knew that maybe my definition on, on those two was conjoined and and should not have been. And so it was very important for me to run my list past somebody else. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't, you, ref, you refer to this often, Spencer, but I can't trust my thinking. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a bad neighborhood. There's a lot of dangerous Don't things Don't go in there happen. alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so I need that. I need that unbiased opinion. I need someone who can look at just, just the words on the paper at face value and see With, it. Oh, without the emotion that's in exactly. your head, my head. Yeah. She's not emotionally attached to any of those people or any of those circumstances. Right. So she can kind of pull apart what's necessary, what's not. And, and I can't do that because I'm involved in all of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's, that is so true. Any further uh, thoughts just, on it? No, just the same thing Kelly was saying, that it's important to do it with someone that isn't emotionally attached to that. Because kind of like I was mentioning earlier, I'm sure that... If I sat through my A step list with my mom, she would be like, "No, no, no, this is wrong. <laughs> Let me write it for you." <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and um, and well, that's okay. <laughs> I don't think that that would be. I think that would be me trying to make my my mom my higher power. And sitting with someone that has done it before and isn't emotionally involved with it. I mean, has done their own A step and isn't emotionally involved with it helps to. Keep them aware of the fact that most likely, I mean, I think my sponsor knew that I was trying to make her my higher power a lot of the time back then. It keeps them aware and they can they can kind of call you out on that also, on when you are making other people or other things your higher power and kind of keep you sticking, keep you aware, self-aware during the process. Yeah. You know, um, 
we I think we touched on this um, the thing that that I think that both of the readings on step eight definitely in the past recovery talks about making amends to ourselves, putting mm-hmm. ourselves on the list because we have harmed ourselves. And this is something that when I talk about this with um, you know people who are in AA and not in Al-Anon, they're very surprised that mm-hmm. they 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 mm-hmm. apparently they don't um, because I guess you know uh, as as uh, Mark says many times, you know, he says, one of our primary character defects is our self-centeredness. Mm. And, and uh, so they, they don't there. And, uh, and then they come over here and they're like, what? You guys are crazy. <laughs> but, you yes, know, our, our defects are so much about, often so much about subjugating ourselves to other people mm-hmm. um, that we, there are many things that we often need to put ourselves on the list for. We are going to close this segment with the today's reminder, uh, again from Courage to Change, page 101. Certainly, I make choices that harm others and call for making amends. But sometimes a choice that is right for me may be uncomfortable or even unacceptable to others. Sweet that you touched on that. Mm -hmm. Other people's expectations are not my responsibility, unless I have helped to create them. It's hard to find that line. I can remind myself that conflict is a part of life. Darn it. So after a musical break, we're going to continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Swetha, what are we, what are we listening to today? Uh, the Worry List by Blue October. I think the name kind of starts it off right <laughs> away. Uh, some of the lyrics are, look, I've got some bad intentions. Uh, guilty as fucking charged, still standing stable, more than able because I know who you are. I know the birthdays, anniversaries, all the first days I missed, I regret them all. And uh, it kind of t- touches on the idea of making an amends list, uh, talking about what we feel guilty or responsible for and feel we need to make an amends for. So here it is. I'm tired of twisted, barely breathing, buried in the dark. I'm creeping. But don't be concerned, it's just the power of a breaking Got some bad intentions, guilty as fucking charged. Still standing stable, more than able, cause I know who you are. I know the birthdays, anniversaries, all the first days I missed. I regret the moment, but now I know this. I know that God exists. I held her in my arms. I never knew I was able to ever feel this strong. Take me. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings, and our lives this week. And uh, Swetha was furiously taking notes during the break, (laughs) so maybe we will start with her. Awesome. What's going on, Swetha? Uh, Sunday, I went to... A meeting, and they were talking about uh, it was it was the the quote you mentioned earlier, Spencer, uh, stonecutter, the stonecutter striking a rock a hundred yeah. times, and um, the, the hundredth time was when the stone broke. 
And what I remember from that meeting or what I took away from that meeting was we talk a lot about trusting the process. And um, I, I'm sure this is implied, but I, when I heard that, I uh, thought about respecting the process and respecting that it takes a hundred strikes for that stone to break because it probably took a long time for that stone, I mean, in the figurative sense, to be created and just to give ourselves and give that situation the respect it deserves, taking, even if it takes years to get to the point of wanting to make an amends or what have you, that that's what I kind of took away from that that reading. There was another meeting I went to this week where they talked about progress, not perfection, which uh, I think we have an episode on that. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really good for me to hear. It's always a good... I can't think of a single slogan that I don't need to hear every single day. Um, so when I when I hear these, it's it's just exactly what I need. And I I think I think that I really needed to hear progress, not perfection that day. And uh, I learned a new word. I learned the word nudnik. <laughs> um, it apparently means dumbass for everyone who doesn't. <laughs> Let's no. translate that into modern vernacular from the uh, Yiddish or whatever it came from. <laughs> um, it was just. It was a really. It was. It was really exactly what I needed to hear because I was uh, freaking out about not doing everything perfectly the first time around. And kind of like my sponsor told me that it's not going to be the first, last time I do my fourth or eighth step. I, I think that anything I do, it's probably not going to be the last time I do it. It's not going to be the last time I make an amends. It's not going to be the last chance I get to do anything. And that progress, not perfection really reminded me of that. Friday, we talked about step eight, which is what today's topic is about. And so it was perfect to jog my memory and just kind of get the juices flowing to think about today's episode. And with step eight, my my big thing was making an amends to myself and recognizing that most of the amends I need to make are usually to myself because most of the time it's in my head. Um, The things that I'm saying or feeling or the anger or resentment or what have you, I'm usually hurting myself with all of those. And uh, so step eight was a lot about my amends to myself. Um, Another thing I do is go to therapy uh, because I have really big issues with um, communication and intimacy uh, because I like that fortress that's like my safe haven, even though it's a really sick and twisted place to be. And uh, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) This this, this comfort of being in those behaviors exactly and uh i just it's just feel exactly the comfort i feel so comfortable there i feel miserable but i'm so comfortable in that misery and i can sense that there is a light outside those doors but it does not feel comfortable (laughs) Mm. and um too bright yeah yeah actually (laughs) um there was a story my mom told me once when i was little about how there was a, a fisherman's wife that uh, she would sell fish every day, and she had a friend who was a who stole, stole flowers. Okay, and um, one day she just needed to sleep over at her friend's place, uh, who sold flowers, and she couldn't sleep all night because the place smelled of flowers. So she took a fish and put it on the pillow next to her so that she could sleep better because she couldn't. She had to have the smell of fish to sleep because it was comfortable. Okay. That's kind of what it, it is oh. for me. Yeah. <laughs> I <like that. laughs> no, I understand it though. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and so with this situation with therapy I go to, it gives me an opportunity to have a safe space to discuss uh, intimate things that I don't really want to talk about ever, ever, 
ever. And, and I do, and I realize it's okay and that the light isn't going to burn out my eyes and I'm not going to die from it. So, I think your sponsor usually tells you something about what it means when you're in a place of discomfort. Yeah, something about growing opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> another effing growth opportunity. Adflow, another fucking I've learning had an, opportunity. I've had a lot of those recently, yeah. Another fucking learning opportunity. <laughs> uh, how about your week, Spencer? Wow. Um, the last several weeks have been full of AFGOs. Another effing growth opportunity. Um, so I, uh, wow, I don't even know where to start. Um, the meeting Sunday night was, was good because, uh, that reading, uh, about the stone stone cutter, cutter. the stone cutter reading, um, you know, made me realize that, that although I had had this, um, as Chad put it on recovered cast last week, I'd had one of those blue light experiences, um, he was talking about about experience of higher power, uh, spiritual awakening, and he says for most of it, it's really slow. It's the learning, mm, the sort of right, the learning right. experiences. And it's not the blue light, you know, the blinding light, the band, Elwood, the band. Um, <laughs> and uh, but that that experience where I was, you know, walking down the street uh, crying was was very much a, a a blinding light kind of experience. And I thought, well, that's what broke it open, but. That's what made me willing. That one thing made me willing. And and so hearing that reading Sunday night made me realize, no, it was not that one thing. It was that one thing on top of, in combination with everything that had gone before in the previous 11 years uh, that made me willing. And so that was that was really good for me to, 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 to see that. Um, as I said, I've been having a lot of growth opportunities recently, and... Um, a lot of them have been um, around people in my life. <laughs> Sorry, we just looked at this comment from from Ruth about not understanding the thing about the fish and the flowers. Yeah, it 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 takes a little thought. Maybe <laughs> send um, me an email if you don't get it later. Yeah. we can talk about it. <laughs> We're crossing through several different cultures by this point, Ruth. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so a lot of my growth recently has been, shall I say, spurred by friends whose whose way of being triggers some of my insecurities, and that is making me work through those insecurities, work through those character defects, and some of those defects I was not recognizing. Some of those things that, that were in me, I was not recognizing. And, and so it really has been an opportunity for growth. It hasn't been a, oh, yeah, I know I need to work on this. And, and, and you're just giving me a little nudge. It's been, no, it's been an awakening. And so a couple, well, about a week ago, um, a friend of mine expressed that they were having difficulty in their relationship with um, their loved one that, and that, that they might be considering leaving it. And, I felt this sort of panic come up in me. It was it was really really strong and overwhelming and there was a point at which I just had to stop what I was doing and and sort of let this this feeling flow over me and 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 it took me a while and what I realized was 
that this was taking me back. This was taking me back to 2002, 2003, when I was sitting in a lot of uncertainty over exactly that question in my life. That I was, I was in a place where I could not really conceive continuing to live in the chaos that I was living in. But I also really, for many reasons, didn't see being able to, to leave. And I just didn't know what to do. And it took almost two years uh, in the program for me to come to an answer to that question. And so, you know, I thought I'd dealt with it. I thought it was over. I had had an experience of my higher power illuminating that I still loved my wife and that I could detach with love and that I could stay married. And I thought I was done with it. And and when this came up this week, this this just... I mean, I was a wreck. I mean, I was functioning, but emotionally, it just was... And and it was not about what was going on in my friend's life. That was just the trigger. It was about bringing back these old feelings and that, that apparently I, I really hadn't dealt with. I had just stuffed. Um, bringing them out into the light. And, and so when when they came out, then I was able to talk with people about it. I was actually able to talk to my wife about it. And and again, that had been one of those things that had been behind the wall. That when I was going through it, she was asking me things like, are those Al-Anon people telling you to leave me? And I was saying, no, because y'all weren't. Uh, y'all were saying, no, you, you need to make your own decision. We're not going to give you any advice. We're not going to tell you to leave your, leave your wife or not leave your wife. And you have to make your own decisions with the help of your higher power. Uh, so she would ask me that question, and then she would say, "Well, are you going to? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether or not those Aladdin people are telling me to leave. You know, are it's you going to leave?" Loaded question. Oh yeah. Um, and the <laughs> only no right answer for that. <laughs> the, well, the only answer I could give, the only answer I could give at the time was, "I don't know." Which, as you might imagine, was not an answer she was happy to hear. Yeah. So I was I was able to to say to her, you know, um, this. This happened, um, you know, this friend of mine is struggling with um, whether to leave their alcoholic, and, and it brought back these old feelings. And again, you know, I build this thing up in my head, like how she's going to respond, how she's going to react when I say something, and then she doesn't. And, and this is good. This is really good. <laughs> Been some other fucking growth opportunities around patience, <laughs> um, which I don't have nearly as much patience as I thought I did. But uh, I'll leave those for another day. The other thing that happened this week, I went uh, Friday night and Saturday. Um, I work with the, the youth in my church, and I work with the youth of the church in, in a multi-state region. Um, we plan uh, youth weekend conferences uh, like three or four times a year. And so we had uh, our first face-to-face meeting of the new, the new group because, you know, high school youth, they're like four years at most involved, and so there's, there's always turnover every year. And Friday, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to pick up these kids. We're going to drive down to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is about two and a half hours away. And we're going to have this meeting, and I'm just not ready for it. I'm not feeling it. 
Um, I just want to go home and play solitaire on my computer or something. I mean, I just want to veg. Maybe watch some Buffy. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I love that you watch Buffy. <laughs> I've never seen it, but oh god, sorry. oh I keep interrupting. Oh. No, it's so good. It's so good. It it and at least the first few the first few seasons, and it kind of jumped the shark at one point. But <laughs> I mean, they all do eventually. Yeah, exactly. But I had to do it. You know, I was the responsible adult here, and I had to do it. So Friday afternoon, I pick up pick up three kids from Ann Arbor, and we start driving. And so one of the one of the one of the youth is is somebody I've known for four years, um, who graduated this year. So this was going to be her last time at this meeting. So it's kind of emotional for her and. We had really good discussion as we were driving down um, about all kinds of things. I got there. There were three new people who drove up from Indianapolis for the meeting. Who I one of them I had had known before, and the other two I really didn't know. And I had no idea how this thing was going to go. And and Friday night uh, we worked. I mean, we had an agenda. We worked through it. And by the end of the night, when we were getting ready for bed, I was really glad I was there. You know, and and this is my higher power pushing me to do what I can't do for myself. That that I needed to get out of my funk. I was in a funk. Uh, I had been in a funk for a while, and you know, these 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 kids they pulled me out of it. And and then Saturday we continued to work. And at the end of our our meeting on Saturday, one of the girls suggested a uh, a compliment circle. I don't know if you guys have participated in this activity. Um, you sit in a circle and you go around one person at a time and everybody else compliments that person. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they started with me. Oh, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> they started with me. Not so, that that's bad. I could just feel the discomfort that I would right. feel if people were like, sweet, that you're awesome. And I'd be like, oh. Well, no. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Every single one of these six young people ranging in age from, I don't know, 15 to 18, had a thoughtful and meaningful thing to say. And after the first kid said what he had to say, I said, you know I'm going to cry by the time we get to the end of the circle here. <laughs> and and I didn't quite. I didn't quite. But I just... I felt like they had better things to say than I did, which... How's that feel? Normal. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. That's true. You're right. You're right. So it just was, it was a very, very um, uplifting experience. And, and my sponsor has me doing a, a gratitude every day and texting it to her. And, uh, and my gratitude that for, for yesterday was the amazing young people in my life. So that was my week. I don't know why, Swetha, we need to start making Spencer go last all the time because it's impossible to talk. (laughs) Shares. Okay, my week in recovery. Aside from the Stonecutter meeting, I went to the same meetings that you guys went to. Progress Not Perfection was great, uh, primarily for me because the woman who gave the lead, she, I don't know that she's ever shared in that meeting. And I know that she she has some great recovery, and so it was just really nice to hear to hear from her. And 
She is originally from a very uh, metropolis city type of area. And so she, she doesn't look like it, but she has this like hidden edginess to her that comes out when she's giving a lead. And it's, it's awesome. The Friday night meeting on step eight was really tough for me. I don't know why, because the, the topic itself was not hard. Actually, I do know why. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel compelled to share. Shocking, I know. But I just was like really racking my brain because there were a lot of newer members at the meeting and I felt pressured, like, since I'm a senior member, I should probably share something since I've done step eight. And I just like, I couldn't come up with anything. And the meeting sort of took this really kind of deeply emotional turn. There were a lot of really personal shares that happened and um, it just wasn't what I was expecting from the meeting. I feel like I was like kind of caught off guard. Swayth is looking at me like, did I go to a different meeting than you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Wish I could have been there. But but it was great. It was it was good for me to be there and um, and hear what everybody shared. There was there was a piece in the reading though that really stuck with me that I don't know that I've heard in the past before. And it was it was in Pastor Covery on Step Eight, and it says, "We ask for courage and remember that we do not really need to like or want to do something in order to be willing to do it." And that really struck me. True. Yeah. Been there. I, I really I really connected with that piece because you know there's people on my list that I don't like the idea of having to make an amends to them but I know that for both of us it would be for the best if I did. So so just seeing that phrase, you know, kind of helps me be at ease with this process that I I don't have to like it, but I have to do it. I don't have to do it, but I should do it. <laughs> Um, Swetha, you brought up the, the, the therapy piece mm. and, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot this week cause I, I had a conversation, uh, with my friend, Anne, who, um, contributes on this podcast sometimes. And, and we've, we've had lots of conversations about relationships and I was recalling a conversation that we had had once where she pointed out that. In a relationship, she always wanted to have the peace of mind of knowing that she had done everything that was within her power that she could do before leaving the relationship. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) And why do you have to be right? (laughs) Um, You know, I've, I've been toggling back and forth with this therapy piece for a long time, particularly in, in the form of couples therapy. And I don't want to do it. And the funny thing is that, um, you know, my field of study is psychology. So, oh, I'm, <laughs> it's all making sense now. <laughs> you know, I'm not scared of the idea of, of therapy, but it, it, there's just, I think it's the idea that there's so many potential outcomes that could come from sitting down with my partner and this third party. And I just, I'm scared to explore that. I don't know that I want to do that. I know. I know. I've, I've, and the funny thing is I've often suggested to sponsees that couples therapy is a great idea. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm still working on that. Progress, not perfection, Swetha, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So. Do as I say. 
exactly. So I've, I've, you know, I'm exploring the option. Oh, I have a couple of, of phone numbers of therapists in the area who are familiar with the program, which, right. you know, that's a piece that's important to me. I, th- I think it's in, the program is a big part of my life and, and also my significant other. And so I feel like if, if we're going to, if we're going to approach this process, it needs to be with someone who's on the same page as us. So I haven't made any phone calls yet. I haven't actually taken any action, but um, but I'm, I'm working on it. Well, you're putting yourself out there, making yourself accountable. See, yes, it's the, it's the accountability <laughs> piece. Not saying next week I'm going to be able to come back and say I did it, but hopefully somewhere down the road. Not expecting. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened this week that I wanted to share about was um, was a really interesting experience that I had. So I got together for coffee with somebody from the program that I don't know very well. This was our first time getting together outside of a meeting. And, you know, what I think is really great and interesting about this program is that I was, I was nervous on the drive there. I was, it was almost like a first date. Like I was thinking like, okay, what am I going to talk about with this person? What do I know about them? Like, what, I have to keep the conversation going. I don't want it to be awkward. You know, like I was, I was trying to control the outcome, right? I'm trying to make sure that it goes smoothly. And the funny thing that I forget about hanging out with people in the program is, you know, I walked in, I sat down, and it was like we had known each other for years. I mean, we didn't talk about any of like the day-to-day bullshit dumb stuff. Like we got right away, got right to the hard stuff. And and it was really awesome. Like this is I mean, this is somebody that I have maybe casually spoken to, texted with a few times. And we were able to have this really intimate conversation inside an hour. We both spilled our guts and and there wasn't anything weird or awkward about it at all, at least on my part. I don't know. Maybe they felt differently. <laughs> but I felt that it was, you know, it was a totally comfortable, fun, great time, wonderful encounter, amazing feedback. And, you know, after one sit down with somebody, I feel like I have this like new friend for life. You know, it was it was really awesome experience. And I, sh- I should have done this in reverse order because, you know, I like to end on a positive note. But in that same arena, you know, the last couple of weeks, I feel like a lot of people have been, I guess, just sort of opening up to me about really hard stuff that they're going through. And I haven't had that in a while. You know, I feel like most of the people that I've, I'm, I'm kind of turning over in terms of my um, in terms of my sponsorship role, like for a while I had this core group of people and they've all kind of dissipated. So I'm starting over, you know, I'm starting, starting from scratch with, with the exception of a, a few who have stuck around and it's kind of going through that whole process again. And it's really, it's, it's interesting to me the way that it's affecting me this time that I, I didn't feel the first time, you know, and, and uh, I guess that shows me my progress in the program that, that I'm able to actually, hear and feel the feelings of of the things that they're talking to me about in a way that I wasn't able to do the first time around. But I don't know, it's just been giving me a lot to think about, I guess, you know, things that other people experience that I haven't, you know, bottom line, I think is just, it's a really good feeling for me that, uh, that they trust me with that information, you know, that, that is, I know you've talked about that before, Spencer, you know, that's, it's a really cool feeling to, to know that somebody, 
you know, can trust you in that way and, and that you have taken actions up leading up to that point that has made them feel like they can trust you. So yeah, progress, not perfection. That sounds like a positive note to me. Yeah, that's saying. true. I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was just, it was very emotional, which yeah. I think to me is the negative piece, <laughs> but um, finding positivity in emotions, even when they're hard. Right. Yes. So the other thing that I really quickly, and I know we're like super way over on time, but something else that I just want to throw out there is I've been talking a lot about how I'm going to be traveling. I have done a, a few short trips um, over the last week or so, but I do have some longer trips coming up. And I just want to throw out there, I know that we have a lot of listeners out there in the Middle West, which is where most of my travel um, centers around. I just wanted to ask if you guys, any of you guys are willing to email feedback at the recovery show with your favorite meeting in your area, a meeting that you really like, because... Do you I, want to mention some specific cities you're going to be at? Yeah, yeah. I guess the reason that I'm asking is because I'd, you know, it's hard for me to take a chance on going to a new meeting, but if I know that one of you guys really likes it and you, you know, you might be there, it would be really cool to 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 do that. So, um so yeah, so where I will be traveling is basically anywhere in the state of Illinois. Um big city, small city doesn't matter. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio. Where else am I going? St. Louis. Yeah, so if you live in any of those states, a city in any of those states. I know we have a listener from Milwaukee. Um, I don't remember her name, but she has contributed in the past. If you're listening, send me some good meetings in Milwaukee. Um, That would be awesome. Appreciate um, you guys letting me ask for help on that. Awesome. So our topic for next week will be self-acceptance slash self-esteem. That sounds like a big topic for one episode you guys and and we'll be uh exploring that with our guest host erica yeah been on before she's awesome erica's back and we welcome your thoughts on that topic you guys can join the conversation please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or your questions about the topic of self-acceptance self-esteem and we've got some thought questions just to get you guys going here if you sometimes feel like you aren't worthy of recovery sometimes can't understand why or even if people really like you, or feel like your lack of self-esteem is all the alcoholic's fault, we would love to hear from you. Wow. (laughs) That's big. (laughs) So, Spencer, how can people send us feedback about that topic or others? Well, hey, you can call and leave us a voicemail. Uh, That phone number is 734-707-8795. Just, uh, if you're listening, you can just pause and and call right now. 734-707-8795. We also have a voicemail button on the website if uh, maybe you're outside of North America or you prefer to talk to your computer than your phone. And uh, you can also send email. You can send email to feedback at com, And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of Step 8 or about next week's topic of self-acceptance and self-esteem. And if you have a topic you'd like to talk about us, uh, like us to talk about, man, wow, can't talk to <laughs> Or if you want to talk about us, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and actually on that, uh, Ruth commented here in the, uh, in the chat room, she says the podcast can not, never be too long. Okay, so, um, she yeah. wants to know if it's going to be live again uh, next week. We certainly Soon. intend to. Next week, um, next week we're recording on Monday August 12th in the evening here. At 6. 6 p.m. Starting at 6 p.m. here. 
Um, we're at uh, GMT minus four for our international listeners, which means when it's 6 p.m. here, at six in the evening, um, what is that, 18 o'clock, 18 it's hours. <laughs> um, and uh, GMT, that would be 22. So if you know where you are relative to GMT, you can... So. And we'll post that information on the website yes. also, so you don't yeah. have to memorize that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and I scheduled the broadcast in Mixler, so you can go look there as well. Great. So speaking of, Swetha, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Uh, they can find out more about the show on our website, therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show, including the notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of an open talk speaker. We've also got a few links to the other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and website. You can leave comments on the blog. You can take a look at our suggested topic list. And if you see a topic you'd like covered, you can leave a comment there to vote it up. If you're inspired or ambitious, you can think about contributing a guest meditation or a meditation prompt or even songs, song suggestions. Uh, if you like the meditations to be emailed to you daily, just click on the email button at the top of the page to sign up. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, Spencer, do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? Yeah, we do. Um, we have several. And uh, before we talk about those, we're going to listen to Out on the Town by Fun. The lyrics in here that, that made me think about step eight. I set all my regrets on fire because I know I'll never take the time to unpack my missteps and call all of our friends. And to me, that's sort of about not being willing to make the list of, of people we have harmed. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and maybe there's a reason here because the next line says, I figure they would take your side. So let's listen. several emails here. Um, I'm going to start with one from Sherry. She says, hello, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I currently in a 12-step program for my own addiction, but I've also attended Al-Anon meetings and CODA, which is, I think, Codependence Anonymous, mm -hmm. as I've found my disease can manifest in different ways. I'm currently in steps eight and nine and would love if you guys can do a podcast on the amends process as it is such a vital part of the program of setting us free. I'm grateful for hearing, for having come across this podcast and appreciate all of your service Stories of hope and strength and amazing wisdom. Keep up the good work. And this came in last week, so it really was 
like perfect timing because I was able to write back and say, yeah, hey, guess what? We're recording a show <laughs> on step eight this weekend. Firepower yeah. moment. And uh, so, Kelly, you want to read the, uh, the next one, which is from Charlene? Sure. So Charlene says, bravo, bravo, bravo. This week's podcast is one that bears repeating, so I'll save it for that. And I hope you add this to your list of best of file for future replay. Do you know which one she's referring to? Was the one day one at a time. time. Yes. Yeah. The one that Spencer and I both thought went horribly wrong. <laughs> and I was too cracked out on coffee to really have any opinion. <laughs> so we really, really appreciate those of you who wrote in and said it was a great episode because yes. we were not feeling good about it <laughs> at the end of the process. I guess that just speaks to the fact that we should keep coming back, right? There. Oh my God, definitely. So Charlene goes on to say, I very much look forward to your weekly podcasts and have truly enjoyed and benefited from each one so far. But this one in particular was precisely what I needed this week. I'm unimaginably, unimaginably grateful for your words. Timeless reminder to focus on doing just the next best thing instead of living in and trying to fix the wreckage of the future. Those of us who are inclined to be overwhelmed by those thoughts need the reminder that we've done everything we can and that worry is not preparation and preparation is not worry. I love Spencer's comment about AFS. NFS is nearest flat surface filing system. And my daughter claims she made that up on the spot. Wow. Yeah. Good job. She, she, I was talking about how we want to keep the house clean after we got it cleaned up for the party. And she said, yeah, I need a better filing system than NFS. Wow. And, and later she told me, yeah, that just came out. She just made it up. <laughs> That's awesome. So Charlene says her house defaults to the any flat surface filing system as well. So she could relate and laugh. Swetha, you were in rare form on this one. <laughs> Again, coffee. It was all coffee talking. <laughs> Honest, relatable, and wickedly witty. All right. Laughed out loud at your quick l- reply to Spencer about the bumper sticker. I still roll my eyes because now I know what it means about the journey, not the destination. Well done. <laughs> Kelly's comments about black and white thinking were dead on, too. We don't spend enough time thinking about the many possibilities and solutions that exist in the all-important, too unoften recognized gray area. That is so true. Finally, a couple of music suggestions. I'll leave it to y'all to listen and see, explain the relevance in your own opinion. Uh, Missed the Boat by Modest Mouse. I'm Just a Girl by No Doubt, Dog Days Are Over by Florence Mm. and the Machine. Um, we have used some Florence and the Machine. Oh, in the past. we've used Dog Days Are Over. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I love both No Doubt and Modest Mouse. So mm-hmm. thanks again, Charlene, and thank you for your suggestions. Swetha, we ha- also have one from V. V writes, "Hi there, love the show. I listen while I do the dishes. I would love to hear a show on the topic of full, rich lives. I found the let live part of the slogan quite simple to grasp, but the live part much harder." Now that I'm no longer on the merry-go-round all the time, I find myself with my hand, with time on my hands to live. Who knew? But how do you actually build a life when you've always been focused on someone else? I sometimes struggle with the idea that I have a right to a life of my own. Isn't that just selfish? Or faith that it's even possible. It's for others, just not for me. And of course, with fear of risk, loss, and disappointment. What tools can we use to build a full, rich life and live it fully with serenity? I use phone calls, reasoning out a lot, and slogans such as first things first and one day at a time. But I'd love to hear how others have really started living in recovery. V. Thanks so much for your share, V. And, and really, that's a great topic. And yeah. for me, I, I think 
we're going to have to think about that for a little while. <laughs> but that, it is a great topic, and, and uh, when we're casting about for a topic sometime in, in the next month or so, maybe we'll pick that one up because, um, yeah. That's next a- next uh, email here from Val. Val said, Dear Swetha, Spencer, and Kelly, really wanted to tell you thanks so much for the podcast and the website. Alcoholism and addictions have been part of my life forever with my mom as my first qualifier and an ex-husband who is addicted to work plus... Loads of issues, and heartbreakingly, in the last 10 years, my only son, who I love dearly, who is still in active alcoholism and addiction. And these last few years have been the crazy roller coaster of good days and terrible days of my codependency. I've been exploring Al-Anon since late 2012 and felt a disappointed, bit disappointed with my local group because the working of the steps seems to be done mainly privately and sponsorship is not offered. But I discovered your podcast and I have now listened to 15 episodes and you have no idea, or you probably actually do, how much better I feel, and I'm starting to understand the steps better. I'm off to holiday tomorrow and plan to download the rest of the episodes and also listen to the steps episodes again. Hopefully I'll be able to return to the meetings and continue with my own recovery journey. One question I was wondering if there is any way I could find a virtual sponsor. Anyway, I will keep coming back. I feel like you are all becoming good friends. Love, Val. And I know, Val, uh, I don't think any of us were sure about the idea of virtual sponsorship. Actually, a few, sorry, I did a, yeah, no, yeah, go a few episodes, several, ep- a lot of episodes ago, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of episodes ago, uh, we had a guest, uh, sh- guest speaker. It was Lynn. She was here for our show on, sp- I think, sponsorship. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was sharing about how she has a sponsor that's not living in the same state even i believe yeah. so i don't know about virtual spo- i mean i don't know how much different that would be from a virtual sponsor but i think it's possible or it probably has yeah. been done I, I i did write back to val and and i said from from my own personal experience i feel like i need to have at least an occasional face-to-face meeting with my sponsor um and or at least to because developing that trust is, I think, a lot harder for me mm-hmm. if if the only interaction is email, maybe phone calls. But that's that's sort of my personal experience. I think once once I have that trust, then I could do a lot of my interaction by email, phone, text, mm-hmm. uh, and even Lynn meets with her sponsor once a year. Right. At least once a year. Uh, right. They go, to a, they go to the same conference together. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, Skype could help with that. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, the finding, I think that's the hard part. How do you find a person? Right. So there are some online recovery um, sort of community websites. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been a member at intherooms.com. Mm-hmm. I haven't been very active there recently. And this is this is one of these things. Like I used to get a daily mail with their meditation, and then it stopped coming. And I went and said, "Well, it still says it's supposed to send me a daily mail." So when I got that mail, I would go to the website, and then I would check in and see how people were doing, and people had questions. I answer their, you know, talk to their, speak to their questions, and so on. And without that daily reminder, I'm not going there. Sort of, it's sort of like a, a mini Facebook for recovery. And I know there's some others like that, but that's the only one I've been to. Um, Recovered did an episode recently about. Uh, recovery online and i think he had a couple other websites that he suggested Uh, i don't remember what they were ruth also commented from the chat room (laughs) this is funny but it's not funny (laughs) but she she says there are al-anon deserts in the world where you know there may not be people who could 
physically be a sponsor mm-hmm. or or maybe just not someone that you relate to or feel is capable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel like, Val, there has to be some way to make that work. And uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and so we wish you luck in, in finding somebody and definitely check out some of those websites. Yeah. yeah. I mean, having said that, I, I am having trouble with the wealth of people there are around here um, finding a new sponsor. And sure. I've, I've got a person who is my temporary sponsor who was previously a sponsor, but uh, she made it very clear to me that she's a temporary sponsor. And uh, so even with with all the choices I've got here, it's still, I think I'm being too picky. I'm just going to have to work on that, pray on that. Okay. All right. So iTunes reviews and ratings help to make it easier, uh, to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you you can give us a rating without writing a review and your identity (laughs) will not be shown. And I'm glad that somebody included this in the script because the last time I looked, it hadn't been posted yet on iTunes, but um, Val gave us a five-star review, and it says, brilliant and exceptionally helpful. And it says, anyone who is struggling with the effects of a loved one's alcoholism or other addictions will be blessed by these informative and fun discussions. The three main hosts, Swetha, Spencer, and Kelly, are so easy to listen to, and after listening to 15 programs, I feel like they are comfortable old friends. Yeah, that was posted on the, uh, the UK iTunes store. Oh. Uh, so we don't see it in the in the U.S. And that, it's our first review from the U.K. So thanks for that, Val. Awesome. Thank you, Val. We appreciate the comments. Podcast news. Um, as we mentioned before, we are recording this episode live and we're planning to do it for at least a few more episodes. We're planning to post the dates and times for the live episodes on our website in advance. However, if you would like email notifications about our live episode schedule, just send us an email and we will add you to the list. Uh, we are also planning to do a sibling roundtable on August 25th. Spencer, are we planning to do that live? That's a good question. I think we'll have to talk to the people who are involved okay. and see no. what their comfort level is. I would guess right. that we're not going Probably to do that not. one live. Okay, so most likely not a live sibling <laughs> roundtable recording, but we will be doing one of those on August 25th. So feel free to send in your questions. And so that's on people whose whose reason for being here is that their sibling right. is using or in recovery, right? Or if any of their qualifiers are there are their yeah. siblings. And we've got what half a dozen people. Yeah, said we've yes got or, six people or maybe yes. lined up. <laughs> yeah, um, Mark is also continuing to post each hour of the twelve hour podcast up at recoveredcast.com, which is the location of our sister podcast, Recovered. He just posted hour eleven this week. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $30 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Val did. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. All right, and we're going to close the show with a song by the Velvet Underground. It's called Pale Blue Eyes. The reason I picked this song is actually I was listening to an old episode of Recovered uh, where the host, Mark, had played a Velvet Underground song, and I realized I hadn't listened to them in forever, and so I've pulled out the Pandora and and put Velvet Underground. And this was the first song that came on. And I just felt like it was 
really, really fitting for this topic um, because each verse talks about a different type of circumstance like uh, infidelity, death, loss of a relationship. And um, to me, it almost kind of presented as, you know, a list of things that we would need to make amends for. Enjoy. Sometimes I feel so happy. Sometimes I feel so sad. Sometimes I feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad Linger on Your pale blue eyes Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems are, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, please feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Thought of you as my mountaintop Thought of you as my peak Thought of you as everything I've had but couldn't keep I've had but couldn't keep Linger on Your pale blue eyes Linger on Linger on